The other day, seemingly out of the blue, Phil turned to me and he asked, why are people so angry? I had a couple of ideas why this might be, but I was curious what was behind the question. He shared that that morning he'd been driving up the Alameda and stopped at Berryman and was going to turn left when someone blew right through the stop sign coming the other way. He then edged his big truck out into the intersection when a second car followed the first and rolled right on through. And this time, the driver laid on the horn and flipped Phil the bird. <laughs> Phil said that he pointed helpfully to the stop sign before continuing on his way. True story, he says. Right, I thought. It's those stop signs that get us. Careful drivers or not, it is so easy to blow right past all kinds of signs imploring us to stop. But preacher, what does road rage have to do with this convoluted gospel of glorification chasing its tail again and again? Well... It starts with the fact that Jesus is in a real pickle, to put it mildly. This short passage is taken pretty far out of context. Jesus right now is hemmed in by a group of awfully sad and angsty folks. This teaching comes at the very end of his life. There'll be more exchanges still, but, but these are his formal parting words. Peter has already fought with him about whether or not Jesus should be allowed to wash his feet, which I feel like must have been a pretty depressing sign that Peter really didn't get anything that Jesus had taught so far. And then Judas who is Jesus' friend and student. He's just betrayed him, left the table, left the community. Here in a second, Peter will assure Jesus up and down that he will not deny him. He'll be there, no really. And at least here in John's gospel, Jesus knows that, no, thing, things are about to get a lot worse, actually. Right then, following this disappointment and betrayal and heartbreak, knowing that yet more is coming, Jesus stops. He pulls their attention in close and gives them this unbelievably simple order. Love one another. Love one another. This is the new commandment as everything they know falls apart? How is this new? It sounds like pretty straightforward advice, you know. Be nice, get along, share, maybe stop whining so much. It must have sounded 
familiar to them. God had already given them a version of this commandment back in Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's taught in the synagogue. They're already trying to live this out. How is it new? Well, for starters, he teaches that it is not in isolation that they are to love one another, figuring it out from scratch and on their own, but instead, just as he had loved them, healing, liberating, pulling all in. This is the new part right there. He has loved them. This is the map, the source. The translation is a little bit fuzzy here, as it often is. And some of the scholarship that I encountered this week taught that the word should wasn't a great choice here. Jesus likely didn't say, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. This is not a a finger-wagging reminder of obligation. I love the the joining word here. In Greek, it's hina, and it's better rendered in English as in order that, or so that, as in, I have loved you in order that you love one another. Or, I have loved you so that you may love one another. The love Jesus has offered is the source, the reason, the map for how we continue sharing love with each other. We are to love not out of obligation, but as a practice made possible by God. The longer I sit with this new commandment that at first blush seemed so straightforward, the more I I wonder if maybe also the medium is the message here, mattering at least as much as the words. Right smack dab in these machinations towards his death, right as his friends are messing up and leaving him and it's all coming tumbling down, Jesus stops. He stops and gathers them in and points them again in the direction of love. Stop, he seems to say, with his body. He stops using his body to feed even Judas. He stops washing their feet, loving them with his body. Stop and remember the love you have received. Remember the love I have given you and act that out again. Let that be your way, your response. It is so simple and so difficult. Hungry or hurt, lonely or scared, whatever the underlying reason might be, People can get really angry. We can be those angry people. Maybe righteously, 
where justice has been broken, or maybe over a stop sign, or over one of those snowballing misunderstandings that turns into just wild resentment. When the critics come roaring towards us, the temptation to fight fire with fire can surge something fierce. And in those moments, at least for me, remembering the love I have received can be pretty far from my mind and maybe unlikely to inform my response. So what if this medium-turned-message is the practice Jesus is inviting us to pick up and try on? What would happen if we could work it into our muscle memory so that this way could be within reach even in those moments of anguish or fury? Stop. Remember how God has loved us. Respond out of that love. I watched an interview with Rachel Held Evans this week. She's a a remarkable woman, just a couple years older than me, who died suddenly a few weeks ago. And since then, countless people have been holding up her work and the just tremendous impact that she had on the church. In this interview, she explained that as an outspoken Christian woman and writer, she received a lot of criticism. Having grown up in the conservative evangelical world, Rachel eventually found her way to a more progressive expression of Christianity, and she wrote about the journey extensively, and it has made a lot of folks really mad. The interviewer asked her how she handled this criticism, which has gotten really ugly at times. She shared some wonderful ways that she approached it, neither taking it too seriously nor ignoring it entirely, about how she worked to cultivate a thick skin and a tender heart. But it was at the very end of the interview, almost as an afterthought, that Rachel mentioned, chuckling as as she shared this, that she also had a habit of printing out her hate mail and then folding it into origami. (laughs) Yeah, these, these emails spewing hate, taking on the form of a little sailboat or a paper crane. It made me laugh, simple as the practice was, and so beautiful. I've turned this image over in my mind again and again since I heard her speak to it. This vitriol folded into something good. 
In the middle of the storm, she would stop and remember her unwavering conviction that our God is a God of resurrection, of making all things new, of bringing beauty even in terrible places. And she lived from that truth. Rachel did this even when no one was watching even if the people who sent her such scathing words would never know. Maybe it's not paper cranes for you, but what are the ways that you stop so that you can love? How will you practice stepping out of this swirling rage that so often seems to surround us and pull us in so that you may choose another way. It can take a thousand forms. The one thing that seems clear is that to live this way, we have to stop. Remember the love that we have received and choose to live out that love again.